Hey, 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 how's it going out there, my mushroom lovers? Oliver Carlin here, and I'm the Mushroom Man. I'm about to jump into a podcast with Alan Belcher, who's fighting for the heavyweight championship in bare-knuckle boxing next month. He's gonna be talking about how mushrooms have helped him to overcome things like depression, anxiety, and addiction, helped him to become a better person, a better father, and a better fighter. So the big question is this. With over 10,000 different species of mushrooms, how do people that want to benefit from their various medicinal properties accurately identify them in the wild, grow them at home, or make them taste delicious without having to read confusing medical reports and possibly eating a poisonous look-alike by mistake? That's the question, and this podcast will give you the answer. My name is Oliver Carlin, and welcome to Curative Mushroom. Cool. Well, hey, Alan, man, thanks so much for joining me um, on the Curative Mushrooms podcast today. You know, I can't wait uh, for everyone to hear just how, you know, what mushrooms have done for you and changed your life, man. So thanks for being here. Yeah, thanks for having me, man. This is this is great. I feel like this is, this is groundbreaking, and this is... Uh, part of that this revolution that's happening right now man it's cool to be a part of and, and to do this with you for the first time you know and talk about um I, i've talked about my psychedelic experiments and whatnot with a lot of friends and family and people that are in my inner circle in the last couple of years being off social media i didn't even uh, have an opportunity or or um and have been hesitant to even talk about it you know so now i'm i'm pretty confident that this is um this is going to be life-changing for for people that need it so i'm ready to i'm ready to dive in it awesome man well thanks so much for doing that i know this you know it can be challenging man to say this stuff so thank you for doing that and for the people that you know gonna benefit from it man yeah um, brother so let's jump in man so why don't we just start out from when you were a kid like like what um where'd you grow up like yeah, I grew up in Arkansas. I grew up in a yeah, really small town in Arkansas, uh, northeast Arkansas, somewhere you've probably never even heard of. If any, I don't think that anyone even knows towns from from <laughs> Arkansas, but for whatever whatever reason, that's where that's uh, that's where I was born and raised until I graduated high school, and then I was, you know, I had that bug. I was like, I I got to get out of here. I got to grow. I got to do more, you know. So I had that in my core to. Uh, to climb the level, the, the ladder of success and to be rich and famous and to do something with my life and be somebody and whatnot. And when I graduated high school, um, it was all about, it was baseball at the time. You know, if, if you want a little bit of backstory, I'll touch on it without getting too boring, but, uh, um, no, yeah, totally. <clears throat> yeah, I mean, I've been doing martial arts, um, since about eight years old, you know, but it was, it wasn't until I was, I would say seventh grade. So I must've been about um, 12, 13 years old that um, I was really getting beat up a lot and um, not necessarily beat up a lot. Like I could, I hold, held my own and I was tough, you know, and um, my dad taught me not to, not to back down from bullies and stuff and not to, not to be afraid. So a lot of times me not being fearful and backing down would kind of, um, you know, get me abused more by the older kids. And I was, I went to such a small school, seventh through 12th grade was together. So you got 10th, 11th, 12th graders 
kicking the shit out of seventh and eighth <laughs> graders. Like, right. Kind of like we're all on the same playing field, but you 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 know that 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 you're not. That's why we divide kids out in high school and junior high and all this type of right, thing. Right. Right. So uh, they weren't really looking after us, and they were they were really much more developed, and and uh, and I was still still a kid pretty much. I hadn't went through puberty at the time, so about twelve or thirteen years old. Um, had this kid that was that was really trying to to dominate me and a, a grade or two higher than me, but I still believe that he had probably failed several game de- grades too. So he was probably like fifteen or sixteen or something, right. and. Um, he was uh he cut my hair with scissors and and just he did all kinds of this weird whatever like bullying type of things or whatever and so he rode my school bus and i think he was just mainly embarrassed that he was so old riding the school bus and he had hairy armpits and was like (laughs) he couldn't drive a car you know but uh you know he had he was much more developed he was like a man he had like veins in his arm and stuff and i was just a chubby little seventh grader so I stood up to him and he said, all right, meet me down here at, uh, at our friend Marcus's house. We had a common friend or whatever. And we all lived on this one highway. It was kind of like our street it was like a highway. It was like a mile long, steep hill. And uh, so when I got home, my mom and dad were both home. And, and um, you know, I, I always had a pretty open communication with my parents. I didn't like, I didn't hide a lot from them. They, they, they kind of knew what I was getting into, I guess, so to speak. And so I was, I told them what I was going to do. And then, and then they were like, all right, you, know, so you got to face that or whatever. So I think my dad was kind of waiting for me to get in a situation like that mm-hmm. to, uh, so I could have my um, rite of passage as a man and, and start to, you know, to go through something really hard. You know, he knew that I was soft at that time. He knew that I was still a boy and that, I, you know, so, he was like, all right, well, I guess this is the day that we've been waiting for. Whatever, you need to go there and face it or whatever. So long story short, I got my ass beat. I got I got my face stomped in the gravel, and I had a Nike mark on my on the side of my face. I had to go to the school the next day because my dad wouldn't let me wouldn't let me miss school. Mm-hmm. I had to go and uh feel that shame and that embarrassment and stuff. Uh and that just lit an infi- a fire underneath me and psychologically, maybe the trauma or whatever, it turned me in, um, it turned me into, you know, it was created the core of the man that I am now, mm-hmm. you know, and um, I started just taking sports and weightlifting and martial arts very seriously. I was ready, I was ready to fight at any time. And, and to me, that hierarchy of dominance in our in our little school there, uh, my fastest way to the top of that ladder and to prove myself was through fights. So um, we had a, a, a type of a, a, a cemetery, cemetery um, backyard bare knuckle type of deal where if anyone wanted to challenge you or whatever, like you had to, you could back down from that challenge or you could meet them at the cemetery, which they just wanted to beat the hell out of you in front of the whole school because no one had anything to do. They would go there at the cemetery, you know. So um, I had my fair share of these cemetery battles and about 14, um, my my former karate instructor had introduced me to someone that he was learning from, from that was studying Brazilian jiu-jitsu and Muay Thai kickboxing and and um, taking taking Bruce Lee's um, 
principles and philosophies and going further with it, you know, and it was like that breakthrough period or whatever. So me, my young mind was just totally, totally into this, even though everyone else thought it was nerdy and, and, and no one could really understand it. It's not like it is now. It's not a career path. It's not a sport. It wasn't a sport at the time. Uh, you know, no one knew what it was. So I followed that and, um, you know, started to learn um, really how to really how to fight how to box, how to kickbox. And when I was 14, between the ages of 14 to 16, I had um, lots of uh, either MMA, grappling matches, boxing, kickboxing, this type of thing. So I was kind of like exposed to everything all at once. Um, you can imagine the limited amount of events back then. This is 1998 or so, you know, when I'm a teenager. Right. Um, so it's like there wasn't a lot. So I was able to do different things, you know, and so my training, it made me, it made it easier for me to get into basketball and baseball and things like that. My school didn't have football um, or else I would probably would have played football. But um, the, uh, you know, seventh grade, eighth grade, I was cut off the basketball team and then going further with this new, this new, uh, you know, energy that I had. And I found how to kind of like create my body and how to diet, and how to work out and whatnot. And I grew up, that was also a big, a big change for me when I was a, I was a teenager. I went from like, you know, five foot two to six foot over a summer, you know? So, so I'm feeling like I'm the man, so <laughs> this, this confidence and, and uh, cockiness that sometimes kind of lasted in, in me through, you know, my early twenties and whatnot. So we, uh, I, I played sports and my, my dream kind of took a turn and kind of pivoted as I'm following this process into uh, being a professional baseball player. Mm. Uh, problem was I had really terrible grades and I went to a school that I really didn't get to face a lot of competition, but I, I was pretty decent. I could throw hard. I, I hit a lot of home runs. So I, um, my mom helped me get into a small junior college where, um, you know, I worked really hard, but still had the same kind of issue there. I wasn't interested in, um, I wasn't interested in school and doing the things that you needed to do the bare essentials. You know, I hadn't learned how to, you know, be responsible as a man and do, do that type of thing. I was just really just following what I wanted to do. So I paid attention into, I paid extra attention in biology and especially philosophy. You know, a lot of the, a lot of the athletes and stuff were majoring in criminal justice. And another option was philosophy that these were like easy majors. Right. Mm -hmm. So um, I chose philosophy. Like that's, that's my thing. That's what I feel, you know, connected to, to martial arts. And stuff. So, you know, I dabbled in that for a while and, and I ended up coming to a, a road where um you know, at the time you feel like in your journey, the, the, these, these are dead ends, you know, and it's like just a stop and you're just, you're humiliated or whatever. And, and you have to learn that it's just a pivot. It's just to find a way around that rock or whatever, like water. So um, if I would have knew that then I wouldn't have suffered so bad, but there was a lot of suffering. There was a lot of heartache and heartbreak and crying. And, you know, I packed up my stuff and uh, moved to Memphis, Tennessee. Well, what, what caused what was the heartbreak and the stuff you're talking about? Oh, because I had a really big, I had a dream to be a professional baseball player and okay. play for the St. Louis Cardinals. And that was my team. And that was my thing. And I had this, you know, I had my sights locked in on it and that was my belief. 
Mm-hmm. And I'm like, well, even though I'm not like even near the best player in the country, and even though I don't make the good grades and won't go to class and all this, I'm still going to figure out a way. <laughs> you know what I mean? It was a, it's the difference in having belief with actually no real reality or whatever. You know what I mean? Yeah. It was just some way I, I just thought that I was going to, I was going to create that or whatever. So I couldn't figure it out when it didn't happen. Um, you know, so I'm trying to shorten up my, shorten up my story without going too crazy into details, but I go um, to Memphis, Tennessee to live with a guy that, um, that got me a, got me a job with him doing like commercial roof roofing and stuff in the morning and the daytime. And then we would train at night. He was a, he was a fighter. So, you know, I was kind of, you know, just kind of tagged along with him. I'm like, okay, well, I guess you can make money and, and uh, have a job while you're, you're training at night. And maybe this will turn into something, you know, this is at least again, getting back to what I wanted to do, what made me feel the best was training and preparing for something and, you know, and then going in, in, in one-on-one, it's just me. Right. And I have to, I have to overcome that fear. And I knew from my past that anytime I overcame that fear and I got that win, it was just the, the most amazing feeling ever, you know? So it was kind of felt like that was my purpose, you know? So, so you, were, you were training, you were training martial arts and then you were working a job. Is that right? Yeah. 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 Yeah, exactly. Okay. We were, what, what were you working? We do what? What were you doing for work back then? Um, this, yeah, right when I when I left college and went to Memphis, I was doing commercial, uh, commercial roofs. Oh, okay. So like the top of yeah, like like warehouses and uh, industrial, you know, the flat rubber roofs or whatever you're going fix exactly. those or whatever. Um, and then we were training in Memphis with uh, with one of my coaches, one of my mentors that I still keep in touch with, Jeff Mullen. He's now in Nevada State. Um, athletic commissioner out there so um that was a great experience um that lasted a while i had a i had a uh i had this um this nasty car accident that kind of almost that could have been really bad i fell asleep after after working all day long you know we and mind you we get up at like 4 30 a.m and we go to work and we're there we lived in millington which is like an hour over an hour drive into Memphis. Okay. So we go and uh, we get to work, I think like 5.30 or 6, we work all day and then go lift weights and then train and then and then you're back in bed at like 10 or 11 at night. You get five or six hours sleep maybe mm-hmm. if everything works out. So um, yeah, one night after like a hard week of work, I leave that training session. It's like 10, 11 o'clock. And because back then we used to train at like 9, 9 p.m. Okay. Like after, um, because back in the day, these, these types of places to train were at like a, somewhere that had uh, karate classes or boxing or kickboxing or something. And you would, the fighters would train afterwards. So it's right. very late. So I'll pull up and I get this backyard burger, backyard burger, a big juicy burger and fries and uh, whatever big drink it was, probably a lemonade or something like that. And um, I downed all this stuff, and then I remember turning my music down a little bit and rolling my window up a little bit, which is a terrible mistake, okay? The only thing worse you could do than that is probably, like, tilt your seat back, and I think I did that, too. So that's, these are, like, my last memories, and then all of a sudden, I remember dreaming that I'm, I'm that I'm going off the road and have a wreck trying to wake myself up, so I just, oh wow, I, yeah, I flipped my car, like, 
it was a Dodge Durango and mm. uh, it rolled end over end over end for this wow. like several, probably like 20 or 30 yards. And um, how fast were you going? You I was going like probably like 75. Holy mackerel. Damn. Yeah. 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 I woke up, I had no seatbelt on and I wake up and I'm like, um, the whole thing is like crushing in as as it's rolling. You see the, the top going and it was, it was wild. <clears throat> so I escaped that without any crazy surgeries or whatever. I had to be in crutches for a while. I had some, um, some, some issues with my knee and whatnot. I never ended up never, never having a surgery from it. So I was very blessed in that situation, you know, which was another big kind of like turning point in my life and, and kind of made me, made me wake up to a different level, you know? So I decided to, all right, I need to do this the right way. So I'm going to get a, I'm going to get something stable and patiently go into this and start getting better and whatnot. So um, I, I, I began teaching for uh, teaching martial arts for someone else and working on my working on my skills that ended up leading me to uh, Atlanta, Georgia, where me and my buddy Danny we we uh, we moved there to train with Manu and too, a Muay Thai master, um, an African guy that grew up in Paris and lived in Thailand, and uh, yeah. he's uh, he's just amazing. So we we went there to train with him, and um, that that led me to getting some fights. Um, you know, I fought, I fought my first pro um, MMA fights over in Korea. So I did like the 16 man heavyweight tournament. And at the time I was probably only 210 pounds. So I ended up coming down here to the Gulf coast in Mississippi to fight at some casinos. That's what really, that's what brought me down here. I met my ex-wife there. We, you know, we later had kids and all that. I moved down here. I started my own gym and, uh, Got into the UFC. 22 years old. I was on a nine-fight winning streak. I won nine fights in a in a year, and uh, was doing pretty good. Um, Rich Clemente was was kind of mentoring me and coaching me at the time, and he was really pushing to to get me in there. So he really helped me get my opportunity to fight Yushin Okami on a last minute um, a last minute uh, fill in type of thing. So I was like, man. I guess, I guess I made it, you know? And, and so I got, I got in UFC. My first fight with UFC was 3000 to fight 3000 to win. Okay. So, you know, by, uh, yeah, financially didn't make it, didn't make it yet. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. <laughs> so for sure. You got to win to make $6,000 and then your next fight <laughs> is months later. <clears throat> so I, um, you know, I learned how to balance, you know, teaching, teaching martial arts and, 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 uh, kind of building up my gym and whatnot to make some money while I was kind of building up there within a few years, I was top 10, um, you know, and as I, as I'm a, approaching my later twenties, you know, I spent several training camps in Thailand. I started training with Duke Rufus. I would go up to train with him in Milwaukee, um, for, for a lot of years. And I was, I put in a lot of work, a lot of sacrifice away from the family and all this. And, and as I'm getting closer to this, you know, this, this big opportunity and everything's building momentum, um, I have this eye injury. So 
So I wake up one day, we, me and my family, or I took the family to Brazil to train to for this training camp. I'm like, we got to do this. I'm fighting Damian Myers, the main card, main event. Um, this is going to be the biggest thing. The winner of this fights the champion Anderson Silva. So as a title contention eliminator thing between me and Damian Myers, so I was like, we're going to Brazil. So I'm down there training. I wake up one morning, can't see out of my right eye. Emergency, have to fly back home, get a detached retina surgery. My whole world is flipped upside down. Maybe this is the end of all of it. You know, um, that's that surgery um, starts to heal up. A few months later, it happens again. I have to have a surgery again. Mm. So uh, this whole experience, man, was just it was just it was just really it was really crazy, and it, it led to me, um, you know, coming. And um, just reevaluating how I did everything. And then when I, I put all my willpower into coming back and saying, you know, that's not going to stop me. I came back to UFC. I won four in a row. And uh, so wait, and then, real quick, real quick. So that title fight, did that ever happen or no? Because because you had the detached retina. Was the fight off then? Right. Yeah. Yeah. That fight was off for sure. Yeah. So I had to I had to um, it took me about a year and a half to come back and fight again after that so after a year and a half i came back and i was on a tear i was i was a better fighter than i was before i was i fought four you know one four in a row and then um you know i it's hard to say what exactly happened in my life but it was just you know relationship type of things i was happy my kids were little babies you know i had my my uh my daughter and my son were um were born in this time. Um, I had a lot of business stuff going on. I just had too much pressure, too much things. And then mentally I kind of, I broke down and, and I didn't have a good training camp. And once I lost after that four fight streak, mm. um, it just kind of put me in a bad place. And then I fought Mike Bisping and I never really got myself prepared. And a lot of it too is because um, I was cutting a tremendous amount of weight back mm. then. Um, so um, I have, I've had my brain checked out a lot of times over the years, you know, and a lot, a lot of it has been like friends and family being like, Hey man, you're ADD. You need to go, and, you know, you need to get help. You know? So I've been down a lot of roads trying to figure out, you know, uh, what the issues are, but, um, a lot of it, man, is just, um, it's just the just the path that we all go down. We put so much pressure on ourselves. We and we get ourselves into these situations, and it's so chaotic. We don't we don't stop and realize that that is supposed to happen. You know mm. that it's part of it. You know, and then that's where the suffering comes from. It's just like thoughts in your head. So I fight Mike Bisping, and he poked me in the eye, and I ended the fight. It, it cut my it cut the uh, little eyelid right here and I had to have a surgery on it that night. And to me, it seemed like a sign for me of like, um, you know, on the inside, I'm feeling like, man, I can't do all this again. I can't keep doing this. It's like, it's just killing my momentum, you know? So um, I took some time to think about it, you know, within a couple of years of kind of training and trying to thinking about my next fight or whatever, at the time, my heart was just out of it, and I was already kind of had my foot in a different door, which was like business and you know opening up more gyms and okay, you know because that's how that's how we are. If you're if you're a an ambitious person and you have that bug, 
it's like you're going to find some way to try to climb to try to climb up that ladder and climb up that hierarchy you know so it's you have to be doing something so um i was doing too much so i decided to just pull just retire and i'm just going to go in this direction and this is where i'm going to make my purpose and my um my legacy and everything here gotcha so um uh during that time i got so you know i thought fighting and running the business was bad but over here when it was just business mm. uh, it was almost like i was shameful at how much that i how much work i was putting into it and i, I knew that i was working way too much i was addicted to work i was addicted to stress mm. i was i was not a good husband i was not a good father you know and i knew that i had the love in me and i knew that i wanted that really bad but um why, yeah, why you say why why you say you weren't a good husband or a good father? Well, I I on my as far as my standards go as to what I was doing, I just wasn't I was making excuses of of why I wasn't being responsible and okay. doing things in in my you know in my marriage and with my with my kids and whatnot. It was always like, well, the business has to come first because this is, I'm working on something right now and it's going to be big. And then I'm later, I'm going to have time. Yeah. Yeah. Life yeah. And the kids. yeah, yeah. La later, once I get to this point, then I'm going to mm -hmm. come back and then everything's going to be great. Yeah. Right. It's a few, it's being future focused, you know, mm -hmm. and that's how we are a lot of times is we, mm -hmm. we got our eye on the prize in the future and it either never comes because you just keep, running that rat race or when you get there you realize that that's not enough and you got to go for another and then you go to the next level right <laughs> it never <laughs> ends, right? <laughs> and you never get to fully experience the present moment which is mm -hmm. all that we really have it's if you're thinking like this in the future bro it's it's all in your head mm -hmm. there is no future yeah. you know it's just it's just now you know um so that uh you know i went through a divorce all that, it was the lowest time of my life because I'm a few years removed from the UFC. I feel kind of washed up. I feel like, I'm, you know, business-wise, I had a lot going on, but I kind of had lost my heart and soul for that. Even, and I was out of shape. Mm. Now I'm getting a divorce and it, it seemed like, mm. you know, that was the thing to do. But it's such a, you know, people that have been through that know that it's like a, it's like one of those things where you know that it's going to be so hard and, and, and you don't want to hurt your family, but it has, you know, it's just, it's a hard, it's just a hard thing to go through, you know? So especially, especially with kids, like how old were your kids at the time? Uh, my kids were like, I want to say they were like four or five, four six five. years old at the most. Right. Yeah. Something like that. Um, yeah, man. So that, uh, that happened. And then, you know, I realized, um, I started, I started realizing that I needed to make some huge changes. I started seeing these little signs. I started seeing things that, that was making my, um, I was just getting sloppier. I was getting like, um, these rules and values that I had, I was breaking them a little bit more little by little as the years went on until I realized that I had changed and I had regressed into a, lesser version almost a child version of, of myself you know and um i was i had a girlfriend at the time i was in this relation or a fiance we were engaged to be married 
whatever I, I call it my big my big moment my big awakening or whatever um <clears throat> as you know at, at this time and this is part of my, my psychedelic story and you know I was engaged to be married and I was living this life that was not me I didn't feel like it was me it was like I'm you know I'm I'm now removed from the fight game mm. you know and I'm even from my gyms I was I was not present in them so much i was thinking more about the money and growing i started a consulting company where we, we helped gym owners grow there so it was all about it became about something else yeah you know it became about something else than the passion it was i wasn't living with life and and i was about to marry this girl mm. and I, it just wasn't it wasn't the life that i knew that i was supposed to be living i knew that kind of inside Mm -hmm. But whenever you're um, you're uh, living under this illusion, you're living in the future, you're living in the past, you're living in your head. Your brain has a funny way of protecting you from 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 showing you that real sharp pain and being like, "Hey, motherfucker, get out!" You know, you need to. This is wrong. So your brain has a way <clears throat> of defending yourself against that it wants to be comfortable it wants to be helped so it will create up all these um solutions yeah, and yeah. and things around it and, and hold you in that space right, right. Mm -hmm. so um i at up until this time also a lot of my friendships were were superficial or they were from the past and i had let them go because of my my career and where i changed and i moved and whatnot uh -huh. Mm -hmm. So I'm at a time where I'm, I'm like, man, I don't really have any close friends. <clears throat> at this time, I tried, uh, you know, I tried uh, church Bible study groups. Um, I went to uh, our family pastor, which was really not something that I was really into. Was my ex-wife was into. It was more religious and, and that type of thing. And so I wasn't really, I wasn't really open to it at the time. I wasn't, very, I wasn't spiritual. I wasn't like very spiritual. I wasn't spiritual at all. I was right. actually, I was, I was in my thirties before I ever told anyone that I was an atheist and didn't believe in God really. But it, this was like a thing in my head for a long time. So at this time, that's where I'm struggling with this. And there was some type of call towards spirituality or something. There was something in there, but I was too asleep to see it. So, mm -hmm. uh, a, a, a person that was that was in my life kind of came through and was um, became a closer friend actually through some business type of thing, you know. So we were um, getting into real estate, you know, some commercial real estate, and and he helped me do this deal, and we became friends, you know, at a time where I know that I needed a friend, maybe he did or whatever, but he could see that kind of like I see now. You can see someone, they need to have some type of a, um, a light bulb go off so they can see it. But you can't tell them, right? right. You can't necessarily tell them. They have to see it for themselves, right? Mm -hmm. So yeah. um, he, he, he kept on kind of mentioning like mushrooms and DMT and resetting it was kind of like trying to lightly sell me on the idea and open my mind up to it right um and if you're a lot of times in this position you feel like almost like why does 
someone's doing drugs, they want what they want you to do it with them too. And oh, you're yeah, almost like turned off by it. You're like, yeah, yeah, totally. One of those one of those druggies that's trying to get you to do yeah. drugs. With I used to, yeah, I used to think that. Yeah, exactly. exactly. So a lot of us, a lot of us think, you know. Now, real yeah. quick, before before you get into that, I'm just curious. Like a lot of people, were you were you like? Did you ever go into like a, a like an area of like depression or um, maybe any type of addictions or anything? Did you yeah, ever have uh, run into anything like that? Yeah, yeah. So um, yeah, let me let me touch on that a little bit. So throughout a lot of lot of my UFC career, every time that I would lose, I thought that it was normal to be depressed, right? And some people may still feel like that, but when, when you have a loss or whatever, and you have something that you have to grieve over or whatever, there's the, the time should be very short. So I'm literally depressed until I get in shape in my next training camp and, and build myself up. So depression and happiness is like this, this cycle for me in my, in my adult life that I really didn't understand it, but um definitely depression and I already told you that I was ADD like this is something you know my mom uh was my mom was told by a teacher I'm trying to think what grade like first grade first grade second grade third grade teachers begging to put me on Ritalin which was the drug at the time right and she never did it um and I think it was a good thing uh, but so, you know, growing up with, with, uh, having attention regulation type of issues, you know, it's challenging and then you get hit in the head and whatnot. So at one time I was focused so much, uh, 24 years old, 24, 23 to 29, <clears throat> I didn't drink alcohol. I'd stop drinking alcohol, stop smoking weed, stop any type of this type of behavior. This is mm -hmm. right when I got married because and I was this is the type of person that I was at that time was all right. I'm getting married. This is a new chapter. I'm going to be a big UFC fighter. I'm going to mm -hmm. be rich and famous. I'm going to be a great dad and a husband and I'm going to stop drinking, stop smoking. weed. This is a this is a commitment and a sacrifice that most men can't make. And I'm going to do it. So I did it for six years until I got out of UFC, 29 years old. Mm -hmm. And then it starts somehow to make sense to me of like, okay, this is a social norm thing. So it's almost like I regressed and I stopped having these high standards for myself. And I went back to drinking after six years. Okay. Right. And you know what happens after drinking, then you start, then you start smoking weed. Then you mm -hmm. start then maybe um, taking some Adderall, even though you don't have the prescription for it. Then you have some anxiety, you take some Xanax, mm. you know, and, um, which all these things were never became like a daily use for me. Mm -hmm. They were always still needed in social situations. And for me, my daily use was stress and food. Those are my, that my biggest, because those don't, you don't see them as, as they're not as prevalent and right in front of your face as like doing some cocaine every day. Right. If you're doing Coke every day, you'd be like, all right, I'm fucked. This is, this is fucked up. I'm doing cocaine every day. I need to stop. Right. At least you can see that. But right. whenever you're eating sugar and you're drinking tons of coffee to stay energized and you're addicted to stress and you're on your phone, you can't see it. You mm -hmm. can't see it. You know? So that's like my, my daily use of, um, you know, things 
And then also, you know, socially with, uh, you know, using drugs and alcohol and stuff like that with other people, you know, trying to balance out my, balance out my, my emotions or my, my focus or whatever, instead of putting myself in the, the state that I need to be in, you know, you want to use some type of drug so you can get the instant, you know, gratification or whatever, but there's always, there's always a downside. So, so there's that. Um, so I wasn't like, you know, goody two shoes and never did anything before, but, um, as far as anything like DMT, LSD and, and uh, mushrooms and things like that, my whole perspective of that was literally just to trip and have fun and the party. Right. 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 And that's what I thought it was. And now I'm at this point, you know, later where, uh, you know, I'm th- this guy that now we're, we're, uh, we're probably, I don't know, 34, 35 years old. And, um, you know, he's starting to kind of talk to me about this. So my mind is starting to open up a little bit about it. And I, I see it from a couple of different angles. And, um, you know, I've always had a little bit, I think, a little bit better way of, of like looking at a different perspective. Not like I do now, of course, but I was open minded at least enough to be like, OK, maybe that's that's so something intrigued me about it what what do you think it was that made you decide to just okay i'm gonna try dmt like what what do you think it was i'm gonna be honest with you it's i think it's it was the the overwhelming thing inside of you okay that's telling you that you need rebirth you Mm. need an awakening you need something has to change you're you're looking for you've heard of people say like you were you were looking for something you're searching for something right and although you're not i was not maybe everyone is different right but for me personally where i was i was not the type of person that would even communicate any of my problems even though i had this this one friend that i was starting to get closer with um the uh i still wouldn't tell him my problems mm-hmm. on that level. Right. And that's, that's why, that's why we need therapy. That's why a human being needs therapy is like, you need to discuss this stuff out in the open instead of keeping it in the dark inside. Right. So yeah. there's something, and I'm even, you're even playing a trick with yourself. You're not saying it out loud. So you don't have to, you don't have to hear it and you don't have to, you know, you're not talking about it with them. So um, I think is that, that desire or whatever that was just, just kind of led me to it and be like, maybe in my mind, I was thinking about just being open to it and I'll try it. Maybe it'd be cool. But on the inside, there's something in there that's, that's drawing you to it. And, you know, from the, from the things that I'd heard about, um, you know, changing, changing your perspective and, and kind of resetting, resetting yourself was the best way of explaining it. it kind of made sense to me. Reset. It's like, you know, reset yourself, reset your mind. You know, mm-hmm. because you're, you're programmed, right? That makes sense to most people is like you're programmed from the TV and the social media and the way you were raised and everything. So mm-hmm. you reset yourself so that you're you're not just going to be a blank slate and be like a zombie or whatever. You're, <laughs> right. like, you're you know, reset yourself to, you know, to clear but, off wait. some of that that's affecting you. So I wanted I wanted to know in a way. You know, did what you ever was. did you ever worry like it might change who I am or anything like? Did you ever I have any? I didn't know that, I like didn't that? Know that much about it. I didn't okay. know that much about it. I was really, 
um, I, I think I wanted to change so bad. I wanted, I didn't like who I was. That's another thing that wasn't, you know, um, I didn't like who I was. Of course, I have an ego and my ego tries to keep me, you know, protect yeah. things yeah. about you or whatever. But mm. I didn't like who I was at the time. I wasn't the person that, that I wasn't, you know, um, anything about me. The way that I interacted with people and, and the, the, the way that my, that my body looked and the way that my energy was, um, you know, I was very anxious. I was depressed. And uh, so, yeah, I think ch some change was was something that I was really looking for. Right. And I had been, I was such a low, a low point that even what had worked for me before wasn't working anymore. I couldn't just wake up in the morning like I used to and say, all right, I'm setting my alarm at 5 a.m. and I'm going to get up and go and run. Even those things that when I would finally do it, I would, I would, in the past, I could do it. I couldn't do it anymore. Mm -hmm. I would set my alarm. I was snoozing my alarm and then I would get yeah, up to go yeah. run and now I end up drinking coffee and getting on my phone and then not running. Right. And then once I started going down that pill, I just wasn't the person that I wanted to be. So I go and uh, uh, my friend, I go to his house. Well, that may be something that we edit out. Maybe, I, but I think it'll be cool with it. Sure. All right. So my, yeah, my friend, I go to his house and um, uh, my other, uh, my other friend, And these guys have kind of both started this process, I guess, a little bit. And or maybe they were just kind of just wanted to see, you know, who knows? Who knows uh, what they were what they were really thinking. But um, my friend was like, all right, cool. You're going to smoke this. You're going to go in here and sit, in, um, sit on the couch. Right. And I didn't know too much what to expect. So we tried. I, I smoked a little bit and it didn't quite have much of an effect. He's like, all right, you really gonna have to pull hard on it, whatever. And then, so boom, I pull hard and it hit me as soon as I sat down. Uh, but I was so, I was so scared and so like defending myself in a way that it wasn't quite the enlightening experience that you would think. Right. So I'm tripping, I'm sitting there, my eyes are wide open though. So I didn't like, put my head back or anything like that. I um, mean, it's very short when you smoke DMT. It's a very, it's a very short thing. Did you, um, did you take one hit or two hits or three hits of it when you did it? Uh, I've just one big hit. Just one big one. Okay. Yeah, just just one just one big hit. And um, so it was a it was it was interesting because it wasn't I didn't leave with like any type of profound type of thing. I'm just like, wow, that's something I never experienced before. I'm feeling like you're, you know, DMT makes you feel like you're blasting off. <laughs> you're like, Whoa! you know, you're blasting <laughs> off. And, uh, but I kept my eyes open because I didn't want to close my eyes. You know what I mean? I'm like blasting. I'm like, Whoa, <laughs> a sensation of going fat really fast and going up, uh -huh. you don't go up and down or whatever but my eyes are open. So I didn't want to close my eyes and I was defensive about like entering into that. So there's a lot of anxiety and whatnot, but it didn't last very long. And I was like, okay, cool, whatever. Nothing really happened, I guess. But in the months to come after that, things started happening. I started mm -hmm. noticing, I, I started noticing myself, uh, my habits and my voice 
my voice started to come back. Myself started to come back and say, all right, you've told yourself that you're going to get up early and you're going to go run or whatever mm-hmm. it is. Enough is enough. And I couldn't ignore it like I used to be able to. I couldn't ignore it. And mm-hmm. since I wasn't living the life that I wanted to, there was a lot of these places that it showed up. And one of the things being my engagement to this this woman that I was about to marry, mm-hmm. I knew inside that it wasn't the right thing. Mm-hmm. But I created this illusion and this blanket over the top that wasn't letting me see that. Right. right. So there was that voice that was like, this isn't the right thing. And I was like, shit, this thing, this voice is not gonna fucking set up. I'm gonna to, <laughs> I'm gonna have to leave this girl, you know, and break her heart and break and just change the whole thing that we got going. We're living together, everything, you know. And the it, it just wouldn't, it wouldn't stop eating at me. It's the right thing to do. You know what I mean? Like, this is what you need to do. And I'm like, oh, I'm having this revelation of like, this is what people talk about when they're, they're getting this you know, this type of feeling from God, you're following God or you're following your, your inner voice, your inner self, mm. you're following. And like, this is a cool experience. It must be real. It must be right. <clears throat> so I followed it, man. And I, I never, I never looked back. I sold my businesses. Um, I sold my house at the time. I bought a camper, moved into a camper um, because I was, I wanted, I had saw that glimpse of being able to reinvent myself and to actually do things right. So I wanted to remove mm. all distractions and completely 100% focus on myself and abstain from all the behaviors that I, that I wanted to, I just wanted to challenge myself and go into monk mode. So mm. I go and I uh, live in the camper, I'm training, getting in shape. And then opportunities started falling on my lap. Um, and just, you know, it was like the universe was speaking to me. People started, you know, I started getting opportunities to fight again for almost no reason, you know, (laughs) it's like they were pulling you back. Like you went off track or something and they were bringing you back. (laughs) Yeah. Yes. 100%. (laughs) So, um, I talked to David Feldman with BKFC. They made me a great offer and, um, and um, I thought that was a great way to get back into it. Of course, whenever I fought, they were going to come to my town so my audience could be there. Mm. Uh, and I was going to make, make great money. I knew the opponents in the in the the um, NBKFC were the right level for me to start back with. Let me say that, right? Mm. Um, not that they were easy opponents sound better or anything. It's just that I wanted I needed to get this momentum to go back. So I knew that I could beat these guys mm-hmm. and I could see right off the bat, a path for me to win the title and whatnot. So, um, I started, started training and started fighting. I started, uh, my pro boxing career, which before I got in the UFC, I was, I had planned to, to do pro boxing, but the UFC being, okay. you know, being under contract and not having the freedom to do that. I wasn't able to do things that I wanted to do. Like, pro boxing and fighting in Thailand, all these bucket list things that I still want to do. Uh, okay. So, um, yeah, over the last year, I've went eight. No, uh, my last seven fights have been knockouts and, uh, you know, the future, uh, the future I feel like has a, has a lot in store. <clears throat> so that, that's a, that's kind of like a roundabout version of how, you know, how we got here. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. I mean, wow. You know, 
Now you, now your buddy introduced you to DMT, right? And that kind of seems like it just shifted. Oh yeah, yeah. Let me, let, yeah. Let me, let me, let me kind of tie it in with mushrooms too. So because to me, to me, I'm thinking that this is. Uh, so you get the DMT, and I'm starting to train, and then, then my friend, I reconnect with him. He's a physical therapist, and um, we uh, we start to train together. You know, and he's kind of going through the same thing in his life. You know, in a way, he's um, he's kind of reinventing himself, getting himself back into shape, and and um, he's like, man, I'm so glad you're doing, you know, you're fighting again and stuff. This gives me something to do outside of my business because he got wrapped up in his business and became a millionaire and all this, and he's, he's very successful, but needed that, you know, more fulfillment. So we started teaming up and doing this. Um, so he was experimenting with mushrooms a little bit, right? So he broke them up, put them into little caps and whatnot. So, um, he was just, um, he gave me some capsules and he was just like, you take it on your own. You go and you go experiment, you research it, you experiment with it or whatever. Okay. Right. So, um, and at first I was, I was very careful and I think I discovered what a lot of people discover, like with microdosing is that you can, you can kind of get your ego out of the way as almost like marijuana, almost like weed, you get your ego mm. out of the way and just you can have a great day right mm -hmm. so uh one thing leads to another i'm trying to build up to bigger doses because i want to have that i want to keep changing i want to keep growing it becomes addictive to to grow you know mm -hmm. um so i've been you know i've done a lot of different doses i have done the microdosing thing every day i've done big doses the most i've ever done i think is seven grams Mm -hmm. um done a lot of around like five gram type of trips so um did yeah, you do man. those trips were you alone when you did those trips or were those like like what was your setting for that yeah um i've done i've mainly been alone a lot you know I, that's one thing i've i've really i've really noticed about mushrooms is that that to get the most out of it you really need to be alone and in nature mm -hmm you know yeah. <laughs> so and a lot of people a lot of people figure that out you know when you're when you're around other people and of course i've done it around other people too and and um on this i don't i don't use mushrooms that much at, at right now like i'm i don't do microdosing whatnot my my goal is to complete to have complete control of my mind and to be mm -hmm. sober and whatnot so i I kind of know once my ego starts taking over and it starts building up, your brain hardens up and you start, there's a, there's a time where you, you might, you know, need it or whatever. So I've, I've kind of the last year or so kind of been on a, every three or four months have a, um, have a uh, kind of a ritualistic type of experience and go to the mountains. I've been to the uh, mountains out in Las Vegas is, is, a good place i've been out there a couple times and did some mushrooms you know and i've, I've had all kinds of fun crazy experiment experiences I've, I've done you know i got dressed in some really goofy clothes from my closet just to just to um, go out in public and try to be comfortable be more comfortable being in my town because i'm i'm kind of like a lot of people know me here i'm a lot i'm you know everywhere i go so i always feel this kind of feeling i was like you know, I wanted to conquer that. So I got dressed in this, in these pink pants and stuff and went out by myself. And, 
now I, you know, I don't feel like that I have to ever be with anyone or whatever. I'm like alone. I'm, I'm cool being myself. I've mm-hmm. done, you know, I've done the whole, you know, been laying in the middle of the road, you know, tripping, <laughs> looking up at the shit in a, in a car. Home. You know, I've done all that type of stuff, you know, out when you're, um, when you're, when you're out, when you're around people doing mushrooms and stuff, I don't know this, if this is for everyone. I, I just, I don't feel like, I don't get how a lot of people have awesome fun times at festivals and stuff because when I'm, when I'm on mushrooms around people, all I can see is apes and clothes. Like mm-hmm. I'm like, these are animals. These are just <laughs> animals with clothes. What the hell? <laughs> we're talking. We're talking. We're not. You guys don't get it. Like we're, we're, all, we're all just a bunch of apes talking. That's all I can think about the whole time. I'm like, oh my god, we're just fucking animals. Look at them. These animals. They look like apes. You know. But uh, yeah, man, I've had had a lot of fun, different trips and experiences that have moved me through through my journey, through my you know my whole spiritual thing, and has you know leveled me up each time, and, and has given me a different um, different perspective of life and and people. You know, I've learned to love um, love everyone by seeing myself and everyone. You know, so I feel like the more the more that I've experimented with mushrooms and the more that I've, I've taken that into my everyday life, which I think is ultimately the goal is like what you're learning there. Mm-hmm. If you can hang on to that, write it down, remember it when I put that in your real life. And I, that's one of the big revelations that I always see is that we're the same at the core. When yeah. you remove the ego and you start working from your right hemisphere of your brain, um at the at the core we're spiritual beings you know and we're you know just like we live and we die we have we have rebirths along the way Mm -hmm. you know you look at a you look at your i know you got some kids too and they're younger and they're coming in you know they're they're um all right kids like six seven eight years old something like that yeah yes my son's eight and then my daughter's three yeah Okay. All right. Yeah. 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 Okay. So that's a, yeah, that's a great example, man. You see how they act when they're three or four years old. And when they become eight, they start, they, 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 they're born again in a way they're, they become kind. There's a shift, right? There's like a shift all of a sudden, like you said, like they're aware of themselves or there's some type of thing that starts happening. Right. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. They become, they become aware of themselves. They're just like, I'm here. I'm, I'm seeing it. I'm realizing that I'm here differently than I did before. Yeah, yeah. Before that, they're just kind of like around it. They're in dreaming all the time. They're just yeah, they're so just up. reacting. This is fun. This is fun. This is fun. <laughs> yeah, man. And kids have uh, think about their imagination. It's almost like they're dreaming all the time. They can they're they're, they're riding a pony or they're they're cops and robbers yeah, or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> they're fucking yeah. just dreaming, dude. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, they wake up from that dream. It's like it's been crushed in a way, and it's like. Yeah. No, this is reality. Yeah. You find out that Santa Claus isn't real, and your parents, yeah. you know, things under the presents under the tree, and just everything changes, man. And then it happens again whenever you become a man. You know, you're just a, you're yeah. a boy, and at some point, you have to become a man. But when do you become a man? No one, no one ever tells you, right? Yeah. When do you become a man? Is it sixteen? Is it eighteen? Is it twenty yeah. one? Is it twenty five? You know, and and that's a lot of us. That's our existence. Is we once we once we start become a, a kid, we're eight years old, 
we're fucking stuck there for the rest of our life. You know, there is a slight change when you hit puberty, you get your hormones and it tells you to puff up around other, other guys. <laughs> and to, yeah. You know what I mean? That we're, we're going head to head. I don't know why. I don't know why, but we're going, we got go <laughs> to see who the, who, the, who the winner is and who gets the girls. And that's what it's all about. Right. Yeah. And we got to go make money because we need to have money. So yeah. we can get that, that's too. when the ego gets really strong. Right. The ego starts building up, it seems like. Yeah, man. It's like this, yeah, the underlying thing with your hormones is like pushes it into your mind yeah. and it becomes yeah. this this imaginary elusive world or, or whatever. And and we just get stuck in that. We get stuck in that until you're you're a grown ass 35-year-old man, you know, or 40 or whatever the age is, and you still hadn't you still hadn't grown up, you still haven't had that rebirth that you've been craving yeah. inside. Yeah, and, it, yeah. and it comes out and it shows itself in anxiety and depression and all this. Yeah, it's like, yeah. it's, it's because you need to be reborn, brother. You need, you need mm -hmm. to, you know, you need yeah. to, uh, you need to find yourself, so to speak. Yeah, but all these things are yeah. cliche and they're so weird. And so woo woo hippie type of things or whatever, but it's, it just is what it is. You know, and once you see it, oh. you can't unsee it. Yeah. That's man. That's, <laughs> I, I love the way you put that. Like, I, you know, like, it's like these different stages in our life. And then at this stage is to be reborn and see these things. Yeah. I mean, I love that. That's an amazing way to look at it. Now, <clears throat> when you, do you, do you feel like you're a different person now than you were maybe like seven years ago or something after yes, right. maybe after mushrooms and having your experiences and stuff like that? Yeah. yeah 100%. Man. Yeah, I think I definitely think that 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 mushrooms and DMT and LSD have, have kind of opened different doors for me and have showed me things. And and maybe, you know, it's just because of mental health. Maybe it's because of, the, of trauma from my childhood and maybe it's from getting hit in the head that I needed something extra to light up for me. And maybe that's just my own thing. I'm not saying it's everyone needs to do it. But for me, you know, if you're if you're not if you're not waking up and you're not becoming a higher level version of yourself and a higher identity, a higher consciousness, then um, then you might want to look into it. Maybe that you you're that is what you need. You know, not that the show is to convince people to do shrooms or like, whatever. Okay. No, but like you said, like it's like you it's like you've mentioned this before, but like, it's almost like being asleep. Right. And yeah. then these experiences somehow wake you up. And, but the, I don't know, is that, do you, do you feel like that? Like you just somehow you feel like you're awake now and before you weren't, do you happen to feel that at all? Mm -hmm. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah. You're, you're uh, yeah. You're kind of asleep. You're under this, um, this illusion. And um, you see under, I, I like to look at it as like an under, underlying reality with layers on top of it and the layers on top of it are your name your state that you grew up in your mm -hmm. education your mom and your dad what you learned from them what you watched on tv what you watched on social media it's layers and layers and layers and layers um not to mention our language symbols things like that like a, you know a cup a cup is a cup because of a hand holds on you know it's just all these things and and you know what is a hat without a head it's like 
All these things are layered on, on top of each other. And then there's an underlying reality of what it is, which is we're on a big ass rock flying through the cosmos, mm-hmm. you know, and li- the life cycle is just like this and rivers flow and nature's blooming. And it's just, that's the reality of what's going on. Mm-hmm. And that is God, you know, and the layers on top of it creates this illusion for you. Mm-hmm. Um, and then like, yeah, being able to see a little glimpse of that, it's just a feeling. It's a feeling. And uh, uh, I'm just blessed to be able to feel it because I, I do believe that this is this is what spirituality spirituality is. And this is what all the all the great philosophers and religious leaders yeah. and prophets and messiahs and everything mm-hmm. were trying to tell us is that there's a there's a God under there's a God under this illusion that you have. And let mm-hmm. that go. Why do you yeah. think fasting, fasting from things and abstaining from things is is part of spirituality and religion? Going out into the desert, going into the mountains, getting away from things, get, be, yeah. being by yourself. Yeah. Why are all these things so similar? Because that's how you have a spiritual awakening. That's how you mm-hmm. find your true self. And some people would say your true self is is God experiencing life through it or whatever, you know, without getting into too much of, of that type of thing. But it all, it all makes sense, man. It all, it all makes sense. I mean, we can go down the rabbit hole and I can <laughs> about what I no, like you said though, like everyone, you've, it's almost like you have to, you can't make someone see it. They have to want to see it themselves. Right now. Mm-hmm. How about from performance wise? I know, Mental health and spirituality yes. is an amazing thing when it comes to these things. Me personally, I agree. I've had the same type of experiences. But what about performance wise? Like, I know, um, like, have you seen any performance in like boost or anything like as far as your fighting ability? Do you think that well, it somehow makes you a better fighter at all? Or what are your what are your thoughts? Yeah, on that? so yeah, so this has been my experience with the uh, with um, with fighting in um, I have, so there's a couple different ways to look at it. There's, there's using, using the mushrooms, what I thought, and I think a lot of people make this mistake too, is we think of drugs as something that you take and you get a result from it right then and there. Mm-hmm. So that's where I think a lot of people are, are, um, that are just learning as they're getting into it are kind of like, okay, I can take this and I'll feel good today not realizing that it's literally changing the chemistry and the the plasticity of your brain and changing, you know, Mm. for good, very slowly with the very small doses, you know? Uh, So I looked into that. That's kind of was my thought first with, with fighting. Okay. Well, I can, when I take this, I'm more in tune with my body. Okay. So I definitely, definitely of course you know that me i'm obsessed with with training and fighting and stuff so i'm going to see what it's like to take the take the mushrooms and to train so i realized that this the way that i held my hands and the way that i stood was so light but it felt you feel like a cat you realize oh this is kind of how a cat can be ready but relaxed at the same time so you can move your eyesight is better. Your eyes are dilated. You're taking in all this light. You can see things. You see things coming. You can feel the energy. You, you see an opportunity. Boom. You can let your, your hands go. You're really like a fucking ninja. 
is what it feels like. Mm-hmm. Now I've watched some of the videos of me sparring and training on mushrooms and it doesn't look a whole lot different. It looks clean. It looks good. But me sober is pretty good too. You know what I'm saying? So I'm like, it's a feeling. And I think feelings and emotions is a big part of it too. So um, mm-hmm. I wanted to experiment with this and experience it in a real fight. Right. So um, there I've now done, I won't say exactly how many fights I've done or when they were or whatnot, but I've fought on mushrooms multiple times. I've experienced with several different doses. Um, and um, what I've learned from that is that using something like that, there's always going to be pros and cons to it, right? So maybe you feel more in tune. Maybe you're, you can reach a flow state better. But what you're losing there is, is some fear. And, when, and you may think that that's a good thing. And a lot of people are scared to do something, right? But fear is, is trying to tell you something. Mm. So if you're losing a signal that's going to tell you something, um, it, could, it could potentially be a bad thing. Mm. And there's a, there's a lot of, and you can use your own emotions, right? To overcome the fear and, 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 and heighten your, your awareness and you can create this type of state even without the mushrooms is what I learned. So I used the mushrooms fighting several times until I had a bad trip. So um, there's bad trips that I have. Um, I took the, took the mushrooms. I took about um, a gram or so, maybe a little bit less. Mm-hmm. Um, wasn't broken up. I was, I was sloppy. I just bit it off, you know. And I was like, ah, about that much right there, which, um, you know, as you know, all, all different strands and stuff are different. And, and sometimes you, you take a gram and it does nothing. Sometimes you take 0.25 and it's like crazy. Some mushrooms are 10 times more potent than others. So yeah, literally 10 times, right? Yep. That's a lot. That's a big, that's a big big, difference. difference. (laughs) That's a big difference. So I go, um, and I take the take it and I start warming up and I feel great. And I'm basically I get warm, I get loose, boom, everything's on point, my footwork, everything is fine-tuned, and I'm in the state that I need to be in to fight. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, all right, I'm there. Let's go. And then they're calling us inside. I guess the guy he needed to like take my gloves or whatever. Um, so I go in and uh I go to to get my gloves taped and then they we hear that there's an intermission and things start to get delayed that moves the thing around and time starts to go by Mm -hmm. so my peak of where i wanted to be whenever i'm under the influence of these mushrooms right Mm -hmm. is um you know starting to go down starting to go away Mm -hmm. and as i notice it as i notice it now starts negativity entering Uh in my mind yeah right and so just like what can happen when you're when you're on mushrooms you can block out your your ego isn't there and you can block out the negativity you can see things for what they are right as it starts to come back the opposite can happen and now the ego really starts to dominate and take over and it becomes a force right and you start to get in your head mm-hmm. so luckily luckily i have practiced mindfulness so much that 
even with a storm of negativity. I'm talking about in my mind, even after I've been doing this my whole life and I've been, I've been fighting. I fought at the highest level. I fought in all kinds of different things. I, I can take a punch. I, I can fight on the ground. I can fight. There's nothing I should really be down on myself about that much, right? Mm-hmm. Like I'm pretty. I'm a pretty good fighter. I think most people would agree. But <laughs> in my head, my head voice inside of my head was telling me that I was going to be exposed. That I was. That I was. I was useless, and I was washed up, and I was this and that. Uh-huh. And just all this negativity that I'm you know, that I'm hearing in my head. And then I have to keep reminding myself that that's not you. That's just your brain doing some kind of weird fucking defensive thing or whatever. And it's just the mushroom, whatever. And so I'm like, I am not going to lose this fight. I, even in spite of this whole storm that's going on inside of my head, I have to find a way. So I didn't notice the crowd. I didn't notice my coaches. I didn't hear anything they said. I'm just battling with this up in here. Mm. And and luckily, I was able to get my stuff together to get um, to get a knockout and win the fight. Even though I was having this bad trip, and then after afterwards, I was just like, "Geez, this I think this is a sign that, it's, that there's got to be a better way to do this or whatever." So so after that. I went back to facing the fear and everything with a new perspective and realized that when I feel all that fear and whatnot, uh, it's natural, mm-hmm. right? It's natural. And I'm prepared for it. Mm-hmm. And I, yeah. I have a plan of action. It was so, so easy. It was so easy after that experience and that bad one. It's almost like using the mushrooms and having the bad trip with all the negativity. That was the practice. Mm. to now go and conquer anything in life and even a fight where you know you feel these things and and your mind has to stay sharp Mm -hmm. so i felt most in control of my mind and most confident after i had all those experiences even fighting several times on mushrooms and coming back and going completely sober sober no weed okay because weed's going to take away your anxiety too mushrooms are going to take away your anxiety take away your fear that type of thing Right. Um, so I want, I, you know, now I'm able to experience any emotion that's available. Right. And the main thing is that I do now that even, even if you're mindful, if you get hit with something, you're, you're likely to be reactive. When I mean hit by something, you get hit with an emotion, a feeling, a thought, you're right. likely to be reactive. So what you do instead is you want to set yourself up for success by setting your state that you want to be in. Right. So if you're kind of down and kind of lazy and that's not what you need to be in for whatever you're going to do, you're doing, you know, um, you know, a podcast or an interview or whatever, whatever that you do to promote your company or to, to manage your, your, your team or whatever. Mm -hmm. If you're not right state, you get yourself into that state, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, and you, not, without taking yeah. a drug too, you know, because if you yeah, take that yeah. drug to get yourself into that state, you're uh, just yeah. depending on it. So yeah, in a way, the drug, yeah, yeah. drug teaches you how to, right, right. how to, um, you know, function at a high level in, in life, you know? So you get yourself in the emotions that you need, you know, you want to be you want to be flowing and you talking and have energy or whatever. You have to build that. You create mm-hmm. emotional states. Confidence isn't something that you have. It's something that you create. 
<clears throat> yeah, so, that, I, I think that's important. Like what you just said, like being it, like you've been, so people know like you've also practiced meditation, right? You've been doing that for a long time. Yes. Well, right. In combination with this. Um, yeah, man. Oh yeah. Meditation is, um, is a big, a big part of my daily routines for sure. Yeah. Yeah. So being able to put yourself into that mental state without the drug, yeah. but get like the drugs helped in the beginning to help you understand that mental state. And now oh. you're, you're coming to a point now where you're able to do it without the drugs and able yes. to put yourself there. Right. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. And as I, as I continue to, um, as I continue to grow, I'll plan on and using big, you know, bigger doses. Um, and, uh, you know, just on a little bit longer of a, of a time frame every two or three months or something like that. And, it's always, you know, maybe that'll change too. Maybe that'll change too. Maybe I'll, I'll, I'll change up to different doses or whatever. I feel like that's another thing that I've, I've learned how to be a lot more balanced. And whenever you're honest, which is kind of my, my approach to my whole, my whole career and what I do every day now and what I'm doing right now with you is being honest and open, truthful, being my true self, being that version of myself that, I would usually put a mask on and honestly just facing, facing the fear of being yourself. And we're really, we're really scared to do that sometimes, yeah. you know? So with that time, I've learned that, you know, I think mushrooms have helped me, helped me learn that. They helped me see my true self. You know, I've seen, I've seen myself at a core. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with like Sigmund Freud psychology, but, or um, Carl Jung, but they, they kind of have like a similar, similar view of like how your ego is kind of set up. There's like something that you're born with. Right. And then there, which would be the differences you could see in your kids when they're two years old, when your older one was two and now you're two, they act differently. That's mm -hmm. not, that's an, that's part of their ego that they were born with. It's part of their personality. Mm -hmm. Right. In a way it makes you more of an introvert or an extrovert or whatever. Mm -hmm. Right. And then there's the part of the super ego, they call it is um, created um, by society and culture and things like that. Mm -hmm. Right. So I've seen, I have, I have taken so much mushrooms to where, um, and this is kind of what happens, I think with a lot. And I know you've taken some big doses and a lot of people watching probably have, but you, you, you completely wipe away all of that which has been created for yeah, you, yeah. even the language, bro, even the language. And when that, when that goes away, it's not that you forget how to speak. You don't, you don't think that you forgot how to speak English, right? Mm -hmm. You just don't need a need. You don't have a need for it anymore. Mm -hmm. So oh, I, I've taken yeah, enough, yeah. but everything goes away. <laughs> That Even the words, right? And you can think without words. One hundred percent. Yes. It's, yeah, you don't, yeah. It's just, uh, yeah. You can. You're. You're thinking exactly. You're thinking without words because yeah. and so all that was programmed. <laughs> that's programmed into you, and that's why people can't put it. But they can't. They can't put words to it. It's yeah. because when all yes, those words exactly. and languages languages goes away. It was just a feeling that they yes, had. So yes. I, I've been in those. I've been yes. in those places. I don't know if you've had this trip, but a lot of me and my friends and stuff have talked about, like, you know, a trip where you feel like you're an animal. 
because like I said, at a core, we, we're just, we're animals in clothes, mm -hmm. right? So, you know, you start to realize that your voice is just like a bird or just like a lion or anything. It, awesome. it doesn't have to be, yeah. it's not, so the language is irrelevant. You yeah. see what I'm saying? That, yeah. In China, they don't speak English, but they, you know, when they're, you know, when they're puffing up at you. Or you know um, when a when a female is trying to mm. seduce a male, you understand yeah. what I'm saying? You don't need words for that. So yeah. you feel like this animal, and you're like, yeah. oh, oh, oh. you start experimenting with all these different sounds. You don't need words for it. And you're just like, oh, it makes total sense to me. We're just yeah. we're just saying we're having all these noises and whatnot. I don't know if you've had a trip like that before, but I've been there a few times where I could really feel. I could really feel the animal side, you know, that's what uh, Sigmund Freud called the ID. You know, mm -hmm. the ID is like, what is your animal, your animal instincts or whatnot. So, I mean, yeah. if we had, I know we've been talking for a long time. If we had more time next time, I'll tell you, I'll tell you some more details of like some, some really crazy trips I've had to where I've felt, I've felt, you know, I, I saw my true self and my ID Mm -hmm. Right, which was is like a um, a killer. Was this like a you know a, someone that is um, you know that's what that's really what we are. That's what the ego manifests anyways. It just you have to follow these rules and whatnot. But it's like for just animals, you can watch the monkeys. You can watch the other mm -hmm. primate on uh, Netflix. There's a lot of good shows, yeah. and they literally they tear each other apart. To yeah, get to yeah. the top, bro. they kill each other. They yeah. kill other animals, and like, and you yeah. can. <clears throat> that's what you are at a core. Yeah, um, and it, I, I, yeah. I felt that at a core, and but at the same time, I was feeling. I could feel um, this kind of like need to to pass down to my son. You know, mm -hmm. um, teach them how ways. And and one trip, like my my friends, um, my friend's kid was was around and was like I was like kind of almost channeling this where where I could feel that it's our obligation to to pass down and teach be an example and teach your young the young ones how to come up and be a man which you see that in the with the uh with the primates on Netflix too I mean they're yeah. they literally they're literally teaching their kids how to do it you know right. at even animal level so I'm not mm -hmm. sure if you've experienced anything like that, but I, I've I've had some cool yeah. trips. Like I mean, for me, yeah, especially when I'm out in nature, like I love, like you mentioned earlier, just being in nature. And I, I did a trip to Puerto Rico recently and I was surrounded in the jungle. Just, I've never heard so many animals singing at one time at night. It was just the most beautiful sound, but I just felt like nature was this, I was part of it. You know, and I was just in nature, but nature was everything, you know, and I don't know. Yeah, I've, I've had interesting experiences, I think, similar. That's it, man. That's yeah, that's that's it. Yeah, you feel like you're part of everything for sure. Um, another one, just to touch on, this is kind of a quick story. Back whenever I lived in my camper um, and I was I was experimenting, doing a little bit of LSD, a little bit of uh mushrooms you know and it was it was almost every single day i was doing something 
And I was trying to find myself, you know, I was trying to, you know, I was, I was just in that place where, you know, it's chaotic and you're, you, you're looking for something. You're like a, you know, you're like a miner looking for gold or something, you know, and you're just you're, mm-hmm. you're going to work, but you're working on yourself yeah, and yeah. you're not posting on social media, you know, whatever. Yeah. I was in that zone, but I was, I was using something every day. Mm-hmm. Right. And I was smoking weed every day too. And I had this, um, I had this trip where I, I started wanting to, I don't know if you've ever felt this, but the heat feels good. I mean, mm. like being warm oh, feels yeah. great. Yeah. And being cold doesn't feel like it normally does either. You're not like a pussy and like, oh, it's cold. The cold, you feel it, the cold, but it's like, just like an animal. If you see an animal out in the cold, right? Oh, they're yeah. not sitting there like, hey, let me in, I'm shivering. <laughs> yeah, you feel it differently. Yeah. They're yeah. just standing there. Yeah, they feel cold, <laughs> but uh, they're not, it's not all in their head. Mm. Like, oh my God, I'm going to die. I'm like, no, they just, they just accept it. They, they don't think. They, they don't make up all this in the head. Right. So in the heat, though, there was something about the, this heat or whatever. Maybe it was just how, you know, whatever the trip was was doing, but um, I felt it before. So I turn on the hot water in my in my shower and I'm just like setting setting down, you know, in the shower with the heat on me. And then I was like, this is hot enough. I get up, I turn on the heat in my camper and this these things get like super hot. So I'm just sitting in there, which felt like hours, but luckily it was probably not that long, probably only 15 minutes or something. <laughs> right. But but in, in my time, it was like, man, I've probably been here for hours. And then all of a sudden, <laughs> I, get this, I get this overwhelming feeling. I'm sweating and I'm just like, you know, just it feels good, but I'm I'm almost like going too far. So I like, I get this overwhelming feeling that Evan Tanner, I don't know if you know who that is, he's a, he's a, mm. Not many people do. So hopefully this this story will shed, shine some light on it. Is um, when I was coming up, Evan Tanner was kind of like one of my heroes. He was like one of those dudes that was just a nomad by himself that came out of his garage and got into the UFC. That's the time period that I kind of came up in. Is oh, where yeah. it was it wasn't an organized sport or whatever, and he became a UFC champ. And a lot of people that knew him when he was alive. Um, knew that he struggled with alcoholism and addiction and was really, um, you know, on a spiritual journey. He was trying to, he was always, he was in his head a lot, you know, and he was, he was mm. trying to get out of his head and he was trying to find his, his self and whatnot. So he, um, the way that he died was actually, he went out into the desert to do like one of these desert trips mm-hmm. and um, he got stuck out there with no phone or whatever and ended up dehydrating and, and dying. They found his body, I think, like a week later or something. Um, I don't know if that had anything to do with psychedelics. Um, maybe. Mm-hmm. I mean, it kind of makes sense. Um, but in my in my vision that I had in this feeling, it was more than a vision. It was a feeling. It was almost – it's hard to put in words, like I said. It wasn't – I didn't see him there. I didn't hear his voice. It was just I knew that it was him. Mm-hmm. he told me not to, to not to go that far it, basically the message mm-hmm. was i took it too far uh, and it was something to do with the heat in the desert or whatever but that's how these things happen it doesn't mean that a spirit or an angel necessarily visited you it's just that mm-hmm. it, it connects the dots on a 
on a higher level of intelligence that you actually can have in your mm-hmm. little three brain. Right. right. It's a higher intelligence that connects all these dots for you and is like, no, you can take this too far. Mm-hmm. You're, you're, you're taking these drugs and stuff and trying to do good is actually going to end up right. doing worse right. for you, whatever. Right. So right. that was, that was a moment that I really needed. So I was like, okay, let me, oh, let wow. me back out of this or something, you know? So I've been through a lot of different stages and stuff and learned a lot, but I think it's just the, it's the openness and the willingness to like go with the flow um, and the, the bravery and the courage it takes, man, really to, um, to face yourself on that level, man. A lot of people will never understand. Yeah. Yeah, totally. And you know, you made a good point there in that like understanding, cause like a lot of people get on this journey myself too. And you just, you want to go, you want more, you want to know more. You want to keep getting further in, further in, further in. Cause you just want to know, you still got the questions. And then, but like you said, there's a point where like, it's enough for now. Yeah. Like you're yes, at a enough point now where you need to stop and you need to go live or whatever it is you need to go do more will come later. Right. But like you said, you can push it too far. And then I thought that was really a cool thing. Patience so, teaches you patience, brother. Now um, <clears throat> we're pretty much closing in here on the end. Um, the last thing I just really wanted to ask you was um, you, you brought up a really cool point earlier when you mentioned that these these types of, when you first thought of these plants, they were like drugs. And these were things people did to party and stuff like that. But you mentioned how when you do them once, they kind of have an everlasting impact on your brain. So um, if you had to compare yourself, like when you're fighting, you've, you've experienced fighting on mushrooms and off mushrooms. Now, do you think you need to fight while on mushrooms or do you think because you've experienced so much with mushrooms, you can still have the benefit of them and not be using them at the time of the fight, but still. Right. um, Like what's your opinion on that? Yeah. So I feel like, um, yeah, I mean, that's something that someone they're going to, someone's going to have to experience, experience, experiment their self as far as whether they take them or not. But from my experience, I learned everything I learned everything while on the mushrooms, whether it was fighting or not. I think that that's a level that a lot of people are not willing to go. And I understand why, you know, it's kind of like, um, in a way it's safer than driving on mushrooms, I think, because you're not going to kill someone else. Mm. <laughs> so definitely don't drive, <laughs> don't drive on mushrooms unless you're taking a very tiny dose. Um, but fighting at least it's like, you know, it's just me or him is going to get hurt right right um and it doesn't really give you super strength or super power or whatever it just it gives you a little bit better vision a little bit of better control of your body and stuff so in a way it really does but um nothing nothing too whatever crazy or whatever but i did it for experimental purposes um and then uh but it's it's not even just the fight it's it's everything i learned about mindfulness and how to how to listen to that voice mm-hmm. and let it guide you on what to do and what not to do that has affected my training more than anything okay. because on it um you've heard of intuitive eating right instead of dieting it's intuitive 
you, you know, intuitive eating, you need a level of knowledge, right. To do this. Mm-hmm. But what, when, they, when you're not, you don't burn the exact same calories every day. So why would you have your six days of one calorie and another day where you have less on your off day or something? It's mm-hmm. always different. So you also need different things for different times. You're more inflamed. You need some anti-inflammatory foods or whatever, right? Um, so yeah, this yeah. is kind of how I live my life mm-hmm. is like in, instead of trying to balance Every, it out perfectly, yeah. you intuitively balance it out as yeah. as needed. Mm-hmm. And if you listen to that voice on that yeah. side of you, you know exactly what you need to train today, mm-hmm. right? You're real with yourself. So that's what's made me so good at yeah. fi- the last two years, bro. I know you don't know a lot about my fighting history. You, you saw some of my fights and whatnot, mm-hmm. but I am literally way better than I was whenever I was in my younger days in UFC. I am so much of a different caliber athlete i'm a more cerebral strategic fighter um my skill set i'm more patient i'm not in my head i don't hype myself up i'm able to see the emotions of my opponent and use those to my advantage without getting myself in there i don't need to say oh this is all on the line now this is for my family this is thing and uh, hype myself yeah, up. Like i look at it realistically like a scientist you know mm-hmm. and this is all from this growth that i've experienced mm-hmm. myself which i don't think the door would have been flung open like it was without dmt and mushrooms and, and psychedelics awesome I, that's that's a great explanation and so and, you know, I think that's encouraging to people what you're saying as well is that you can take these things and have an everlasting impact. And it sounds like, I mean, do you find them to be addictive at all? Like, I mean, some people. No, the only, the only thing, like I said, the only thing that you watch out with being addictive is you're uh, addicted to growing and be, you know, and so that that, that might be something yeah. you want to be careful of or whatnot, but. As far as, yeah, you're not really going to be, um, you're not going to be real excited to do it again. Once you feel the anxiety. That you have <laughs> it's like anti-addictive, right? <laughs> yeah, in a way, you, you kind of get scared to do it again because you kind of like, yeah. you're like, oh, I'm going to have to go through that, you yeah. know, go through yeah. that little um, hard spot, you know. Mm-hmm. And, but isn't it just like a beautiful example of how life is anyways? You have to go through the chaotic, mm-hmm. you know, hardship, the hard time, the, yeah. the downtime to get to, to wherever yeah. it's like you experience that every time that you, you take more than half a gram. Yeah. It's interesting. It's almost like your life led you to finding this, finding yourself. And now it's putting you back where you're supposed to go. It's pretty cool. I think. Um, well, cool, man. Look, this has been an awesome awesome podcast i really appreciate your time and joining me today i know you're busy with everything else you got going on coming up to this fight um next month um so to finish off i mean what so with all these things that's happened and everything leading up to this point now you're kind of on a path so where do you see yourself going now like what's the future look like for you and um moving forward in 2023 like what's the um what's that look like yeah, I mean, well, if I had to lay it out 
Um, I would I would say that this um, and we didn't even really talk about my fight that I've I've got coming up, but like back when if you remind or rewind back to where I said that uh, I signed with BKFC and I saw this path to win the belt. So um, a year and a half, two years, whatever it was after I signed with them, fighting for a year with them, I'm now fighting for the heavyweight title. Yeah. So BKFC heavyweight title, it's like a, you know, it's all been created and manifested and here we are. So once I do that, that'll probably open up a lot of, open up a lot of doors. Um, you know, this is more than, this is more than just a, some type of last ditch effort or something. When someone takes time off of fighting, they come back, people always tend to think, oh, well, they missed it and they want their ego stroke. They want to make money or whatever. It's not about that at me. For me, it's really my purpose and my meaning, and it's part of my overall arching legacy that I'm leaving, and I want to inspire other people mm. more than anything else, more than um, more than the details of what I could say. I want to fight Tyson Fury. I want to fight Francis Ngannou. I want to go back to UFC and win win a belt there or something, whatever. Like I don't, none of that stuff really moves me as much as inspiring people to live mm. their full purpose and it find, find the meaning of their life and in their suffering, because it's all in your head. Mm. It's all, it's all in your head, man. It, living in the present moment is the way to do it. So um, even planning out this thing and looking at where it's going in the future is kind of taking my mind to the future. The way that I've got to where I am right now, the best things I've done in my life is from focusing right now on the present moment and experiencing mm. that you know, to its fullest. Mm -hmm. um, so in order for me to, to like, and it's all kind of coming together for me, really all yeah, to yeah. tell you the truth, man, it's like this conversation takes me, it makes the belief even stronger for me than I was yesterday and the day before. And in the recent months leading up to this, I'm starting to realize that this is really a mission. There is a calling for me to give to other people and to teach and to mentor in a way I've always had this feeling to mentor and teach. And, you know, even though I, I haven't really considered myself, I'm the best teacher or whatever. It's it, when it's, I am whenever it's something that I'm passionate about and something that I really know. Mm -hmm. So I recommend everyone passes something down to someone else. It's also the best form of learning. When you learn something, you teach someone else, it sticks. This is neuroscience. Mm -hmm. So, um, to me, it's it's a level of fulfillment that I can't even I can't even understand. It's like I was chasing something else the whole time. Mm -hmm. uh, but fulfillment is really what we want, mm -hmm. and to be fulfilled means to be happy and joyful. Yeah, and uh, that's all we're really looking for. You know, if somebody wants money or they want a Lamborghini or something, that's great. But if you really break it down further than that, they're they're doing that in hopes that they'll be fulfilled. Mm -hmm. They'll think it's going to make them happy. Yeah. You see what I'm saying? And yeah. Uh, and, and, and really it's, it's learning how, what's, what really fulfills you and doing that. And then you can play the game in the world. You mm -hmm. want the land or whatever you want to, you want the house and the cars and the money and the freedom to do whatever you want and be able to fly, right. wherever you want, eat, go out to eat every single day or whatever, or maybe yeah. You know, yeah. give the charity you want to support some other families or buy Christmas presents, whatever, yeah. all these things that finances get you, you can, you can do that 
from a different perspective without being in it. Like Jesus mm -hmm. Christ said, live in the world, but mm -hmm. not of the world. Mm. Right. Yeah. So you can yeah, play, yeah. you can play this game. You can live in the ego world. You can you can live in the material world. And you can have fun and and uh, you know I don't know if you've you've researched Alan Watts much, but that's kind oh, of I love Alan Watts. Kind of his his <laughs> yeah. philosophy, you know, was to um, he considered himself someone that was had access to the spiritual world, mm -hmm. but he was also interested in the material world and playing the game and mm -hmm. you know with your, you can, you know, you can yeah. create your own character, the, your style and your, your clothes and the, your, yep. your music, all these things that culture and stuff provide for us and experience those, those fun things, but underlying knowing that the, the truth of what, what really, it really is about and yeah. understanding that if you don't find out what fulfills you and what your purpose is and whatnot, you're always yep. going to struggle and you're always going to suffer. So ultimately that's my goal for the future. And if that means, if that means, uh, you know, knocking people out until I go on Joe Rogan and get on the big podcast and um, get in a fight with Francis Ngannou and working my way up to, you know, um, a big multi seven figure boxing match. If these are the mm -hmm. things that needs to have attention for this, for more people to have um, a spiritual awakening or whatever, whatever mm -hmm. you want to call it, to wake the fuck up. And realize that it's all in their head and they stop suffering. If that's what needs to happen, then uh, then uh, so be it. That's what I'm going to make happen. I'm going to have fun doing it, and I'm I'm not going to hurt anybody along the way. And uh, my kids are loving it, and I, they're growing as as people. They're developing, you know. Mm -hmm. As seeing this, it's all it's all working, man. From a core in my in myself yeah, in my home with my family, and um, you know, kind of just spanning outwards it's almost like hearing your story man it's almost like you know you were going down this path but you didn't have the right mindset about it you know and then you went off the path learned about yourself and came back but now with the understanding of you know just having a purpose like what's the meaning behind it it's not about the money it's not about the house or the this nice stuff it's about something else now for you is what I'm seeing, man. And that's, that's beautiful. And, you know, you hear so many stories. I mean, Robert Kiyosaki wrote a book on it and he was saying like, he achieved all his success. He was a multimillionaire. He had all these businesses. He had all these things. And all of a sudden he went into depression for like a year. And he's just yeah. like, what the heck? I got everything. I've got everything I've ever wanted. And now what, why aren't I happy? Like, what, what the heck is this? You know? And it's like, you've but you've done it man you fight you you went out there and you found it bro and i think that's that's anything anyone could ever want and i love your answer of not having a set plan you're just like like bruce lee said you know be like water right and just flow that's the and that's the perfect answer and i i, I love it man and that's that's great it's an awesome thing to hear so cool bro look this has been great again like i said um so your fight's coming up next month, um, the 24th of next month. And if people want to follow you or learn more about you or watch your fight, how do they do that? Um, yeah, BKFC has a great app. This is $4.99 a month. You can just get it for right before the fight in February for five bucks and watch my watch my fight against Arnold Adams. I'm easy to find on social media and, and whatnot. I'm sure you'll probably put my name, put my link in there or something. Yeah, yeah, sure. 
Well, cool, bro. Thanks so much, man. And um, I can't wait to have you fly out to Texas and maybe do another podcast sometime. This yeah. has been a lot of fun, man. Yeah, man. I, I'm down anytime. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Hopefully, right, that, well, hopefully that opens some, so opens some eyes up and awakens some people and, and uh, totally, helps man. them defend themselves against the matrix. Yeah. Yeah, man. Totally. I, I'm sure it will. And thanks for sharing all that. That was awesome. All right, All right, man. We'll have a good one. All right, man. I'll talk to you later. All right. So if you want to know how curative mushrooms is helping sad people to improve their mental health by growing happy mushrooms at home using an all-in-one simple growing system that doesn't require any complicated instructions or expensive equipment, then head over to curativemushrooms.com. So the big question is this. With over 10,000 different species of mushrooms, how do people that want to benefit from their various medicinal properties accurately identify them in the wild, grow them at home, or make them taste delicious without having to read confusing medical reports and possibly eating a poisonous lookalike by mistake? That's the question, and this podcast will give you the answer. My name is Oliver Carlin, and welcome to Curative Mushrooms.